Good morning. How you doing? Good. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. All right, we'll get started then. There was a story about a a man who God one day gave ten red shiny apples. And he told them what they were for. He said, the first three apples will be for you to eat or to use to provide food or produce food or however, however you want to do that. He said, the next three apples will be for shelter, uh, trade them, whatever you need to do, grow trees, whatever. And the third uh, three will be for clothing. And he said, and the last one of those apples, just give back to me. And so the man took the ten red, shiny, juicy apples and he did just what God had said. The first three went for food, then three for shelter and three for clothing. And then he was left with the one. And the last one just happened to look juicier and shinier and redder than all the other nine. So he ate it and gave the core to God. Guess what we're going to talk about today for a few minutes? <laughs> a few of you chuckle and the rest of you groan. Our faith in Christ embraces the whole of life, not just the spiritual, but the material. God is testing us, and the ironic thing about that is he challenges us to test him in the test he's giving us. Isn't that cool? Malachi chapter 3, going to be looking there today. And we're talking about tithing. He said, well, Brian just did that. Well, yes, he did. We do that every single week, but let's take it a little bit deeper today. Tithing will not make you a Christian, but it tells a lot about where you are in the process of living out your discipleship as a follower of Christ. It just does. And God has issued a test, if you will, God's test of tithing. And so God's test of tithing covers at least four areas, and I'm going to talk about those four things today. And every one of you should have received a little a little paper to to write on did everybody get one of those and hopefully you have a pen or a pencil or something to scratch with i'm doing this a little different today because i want you to walk away with more than just your normal notes i really want you to have this in your hands and fill it out keep you with us as we're going for the next few minutes and also you'll have this to take and study because i don't want you to ever get to the place that you just take my word for things I think that you should study the word to find out for yourself what it means. I don't think that you should take anyone's word. You say, well, we can't trust you. Who can we trust? Well, you can trust me. I promise you can trust me. Because I'm not ever going to get up here without having spent a lot of time with the Lord to make sure that this is his word and that I'm his voice and that I'm not interjecting myself into that any more than I have to. I pray specifically, Lord, just use my voice and use my uh, my hands, my feet, my eyes, I'm trying to discern and follow you. Uh, keep as much of me out of this as you can. Now, he does use my personality a little bit from time to time, just like he would anyone else's. 
But I prayerfully enter this pulpit every time very aware that I am not speaking for me, nor is it a place for my opinions. This is only the place for the word to be spoken, his word, not mine. Even having said that, you can't just trust me in that. You should take the word and gauge what is being said from this pulpit by whomever according to that word. And so the basis for what we're talking about today comes from Malachi, but there's a lot of other places, as you'll see as we go, where it's talked about. But this test that God is giving us is four things. And first of all, if you want to write this down, it is scriptural and personal is the word you're looking for there. Specifically personal. This is not just one of those things that you can shovel over to someone else as a believer. This is an area of your life that you have to come to terms with, just like you had to come to terms with the fact that you were an unbeliever and you had to come to terms with the fact that you were going to give your life to Christ. Once you do that, the Bible then says you take communion, you're baptized in water. Those are not suggestions. Those are commands. And after that, then we start becoming discipled and we start trying to grow into a place of maturity. And so as we do that, we find that this is one of those areas. It's not, it's, it's not a suggestion. It's, it's not just something that you can, that you can uh, go to sleep while it's being talked about. It's not something that you can just bypass. You, you'll have to make a decision about that. This is why people are either really happy about this subject or really sad about it, one or the other. Because if you've been around a church or this church or any church very long, and heard the word of God rightly divided according to the way we read the word, know the word, you would know this is a topic, this is an area that has to be dealt with, must be dealt with, not for the sake of the preacher getting a raise, but that if the preacher doesn't tell the people about this, I in turn am submitting you or placing you in a, in a very uh, precarious place. This is for your own benefit. Whether you do this or not, it's not going to change whether or not I show up next Sunday or whether or not uh, I get a paycheck. It's not going to make a bit of difference because whether you do this or not, I'm not going to get a raise. I'm not going to get uh, a new car out of this or I'm not going to get a bunch of new jewelry. Do you know how much I love jewelry? I wear a wedding ring on Sunday. That's just so y'all know I'm married. The rest of the week, nobody cares. I think it comes from being a musician years ago. I just didn't want anything on my wrist and hands and I just don't like wearing jewelry. So I'm not going to get no jewelry out of this. I'm not going to get a uh, new suit, I'm not going to get uh, a new car or a new house or any of this based on whether you do this. This is something I've learned and this is for your good. Let's see what it says. It's a personal thing and it's, it's both Old Testament and New Testament. Now there's some Christians who have argued that that's not so. They say that yes, they, they won't doubt that it's in the Old Testament and they always try to tithe, those who have that argument always try to tie tithing to the law. Have you ever heard the argument? They always say, well, yes, tithing was an Old Testament concept and it was under the old law. That's how they always approach that. Leviticus 2730, tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. Then you have Malachi 3, 6 through 12. But somebody would say, well, yes, those are Old Testament. Those are all under the old law, but, but under grace, we don't live under the law anymore. Well, if, if that were the case, perhaps you would be right, except for the fact that proof exists 
to state that tithing was around a long time, perhaps 400 years before the law was ever given to man. They're not tied together. Don't have anything to do with each other. You say, well, you're going to have to prove that. I could do that from looking at the New Testament. I can make that point from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 7, where it's talking about Abraham, the man of faith. He tithed and it says that this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. And he met Abraham returning from the defeat of kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. There's the tithe. This is before the law. The law does not exist at this point. Moses hadn't been born. This is Abraham's day. Understand, uh, he says, first, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness and also king of Salem means king of prince, uh, king of peace, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God. He remains a priest forever. What's it saying to us? We're learning this, not just Old Testament, but New Testament, but also that it's Jesus approved in this for this reason. Melchizedek is a priest, but he is not from the line of Levi. He is a priest because he is a son of God. In fact, some think perhaps uh, uh, a pre-incarnate Christ, or at least uh, symbolic in this case of Christ, to show in the Old Testament that this was not just an Old Testament concept, but would be carried forth throughout the rest of the church. Melchizedek represented Christ in this case, which tells us next, and you're writing this down, that tithing is Jesus approved. That's what we're looking at. Jesus approved. You say, well, where did Jesus do that in the New Testament? Matthew 23 and verse 23. You give a tenth of your spices and your mint and your dill and your cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You've practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You say, well, Jesus is getting on to these guys for rejecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Yeah, but he said you do give a tenth without neglecting the former. In one passage it says... You give, you do well. Remember that? You do well. So he's not in any way abdicating or saying that 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 is something that should discontinue, which is another principle that you need to understand about Scripture, whether you're talking about tithing or any other thing or the law or anything else in the Bible. Any place something is written in the Word, if later on that is not changed, then that stays in place. Does that make sense? I could have said that a lot more technically. But some of y'all folks are about as smart as I am, and so I'm not going to go too deep. If a principle is given to you in the Old Testament and then is not specifically changed somewhere later, that stays intact. The fulfillment of the law is love. We'll talk about it in a minute. So this this concept does not change just because we leave the dispensation of law and enter the dispensation of grace. Nowhere does Jesus or anyone else in the New Testament ever say, go ahead and discontinue the practice of tithing, not no longer going to be necessary. You say, but in the New Testament, in the church services, we don't see it happening anywhere. We see offerings. We see, we see Paul taking up offerings and going to different places. We see all that happening, but we don't see it being discontinued. And I'm going to tell you why, and this is a part for those of you that are already mad are going to get a lot madder. Because under the dispensation of grace, we are expected to do more. 
So when I get up and talk about 10%, you ought to clap and cheer because I could have got up and said, well, it's gone up to 20. Sinners give 10, Christians got to give 20. We joke about things like that sometimes. Ryan and I were talking about this the other day. He said, I think what we ought to do, we ought to, we ought to do, you know, because we we're not in the, in the business world, so we don't get to do sales and fun things like other folks get to do to bring in crowds and raise money. So we're all the time trying to talk about, you know, well, why don't we, why don't we have tithing for 11 months of the year at 15%? And then the month of December, everybody gets the month off. How many of y'all would like that? Some of the mathematicians are like, well, that's not fair. Make it like 11, and then you might have something. The response under grace should exceed the requirements of the law. So, Pastor, are you saying that if I'm not tithing, I'm out of God's will? And I would say yes. In that area of your life, if you are not tithing, you are out of God's will. Boy, that's just the truth. Let's move on. Number two. God's test of tithing is his method. You're writing that down. It's his method to finance his work. Those are the words, method and finance. This is his method to finance his work. Now look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. God gives us the reason for it there. He says, that there might be food in my house. You say, well, God, you have food in your house anyway. You own everything. I want you to notice something here. The, 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 the fact of the matter is that the Bible not only teaches that, that the tenth belongs to God, so does the other 90%. Like, ooh, I don't like this message. The more that it goes, I like it less. Let me show you something here. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Deuteronomy 10, 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Psalm 50, 10, 11. For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. Haggai 2, 8. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 even talks about our lives. The spirit returns to God who gave it. Malachi's point is this, that while God owns everything, he has turned over all of his property to our management and to our trusteeship. Basically, what God has done and made all of us leaseholders. And have you ever, have you ever uh, rented to someone? Have you ever been in that? Maybe some of you aren't stressful by doing that, but Deb and I have done that a time or two. I hate owning property that someone else is renting or leasing. I, you know, you have to be the kind of person that, that, that things just don't bother to do that. You can't be, like for me, everything's just got to kind of line up, you know. And I just, it stresses me out to have to go ask somebody, when are you going to pay your rent? I can't pay my house payment and yours forever. When, anybody ever been in that situation? Some of y'all been in that situation? When are you going to pay your rent? Yet, this is how God has to approach us. It must be embarrassing for him to say to some of us, when are you going to give me mine? I mean, month after month, other things become more important. 
and the other priorities get set and the other purchases are made. And you say, well, I'll make it up next month, Lord, or I'll make it up next week, or I'll make it up next year. And he's like, you know, we're going on sometimes years here. We're going on months. When am I going to get mine back? And you say, well, God, you don't need it. You're God. You create everything. Everything is yours. And God would say to us, yes, but I specifically chose the tithe to be my way of propelling my kingdom. So when you withhold the tithe, you are, in essence, hindering the work of the kingdom of God. I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of shouting this morning. I'll just keep on going. We limit the extent of what God expects to happen among us. Think about that for a minute. I'm not getting on anybody because none of us know here who does and who doesn't. But here's, in essence, what's going on. If somebody in our congregation, a part of this family, is not tithing, they're limiting the rest of our church from being able to reach the people that we are all in unity trying to reach. It's even worse than that. The scripture says we are cursed. That's the word you're writing down for not tithing. We are cursed for not tithing. What happened to the fig tree that Jesus cursed? You remember? It withered up and died, didn't it? Anything that is under a curse from God withers. It's not productive. It doesn't produce. So what happens to people who withhold from God just the minimal 10% of the 100% he's given them When Jesus comes by and says, I want to do a work right here, and we say, I'm withholding that 10%, and he looks at that tree, and eventually, he says, I'm going to have to move on. This tree's not going to produce fruit. So we're going to find one that will. And that tree withers and dies. No believer would ever intentionally hurt the church. It's not that we get up and we're trying to be negligent or careless or... Or malicious. <clears throat> it doesn't happen that way. People that I talk to that don't tithe that are, believer, are believers really don't do it because they don't think they can. It, it, it's not that they, uh, most of them, it's not that, it, that they're so angry about it. Most of them, it's just, uh, Pastor, we just really couldn't afford to do that. Brings me to number three God's test of tithing is a means to stretch our faith and spiritual growth. It will stretch you. This is a way that we're going to grow spiritually, practically. Now I'll point you to Malachi 3.10. Which is our text today where God says, test me in this. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Some people have misused that verse to think that if they tithe, they're going to get. Or that they tithe so they will get. They're tithing to get the windows open. What are some of the reasons? This is not going to be on the paper. You can write it down if you want. But some of the reasons why people people give, this is a spiritual, personal thing. It's also a corporate thing that 
that when everyone is working together and they are not just, they're not just uh, attending and they're not just working, but they're giving. And when that's happening, all of us are supporting the work of the Lord. The floodgates of heaven open up and the devourer is kept away from us personally and the church. And the church grows and people are saved. But why are the motives that some people give? And there's several of them. One of them is because of duty. They hear a message like this and they're like, well, man, now I'm afraid not to. I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to like it. I'll write it out. He sure better come through, all I know to tell him. Duty. The second reason some people do it is out of self-satisfaction. Ooh, I gave again. Look at me. Hold my check up. Here, come and get this, ushers. Make sure I didn't fold it. I want you to see how much it is. You have your reward where? Here. We're not letting our left hand know what the right hand gives. That basically means we're not telling other people because it'd be really hard to keep your left hand secret from the right one unless you keep this one closed when you're writing with your right one. I don't know. Don't you look. It's saying to us that we need to give the right way. We need to give the way, the way that we communicate sometimes with the Lord. We need to do it privately. It's a private matter. It's a personal thing. Some people give for reason of prestige. There's some churches that publish, I guess, perhaps at the end of the year, who gave what. And some folks are trying to make sure that their name stays up at the top. Look how much we gave this year. Some do it for the tax benefits. And some people give out of love, which is the reason why that God wants us to give and which is the reason why he can bless. Love always has a return on its investment. Those other things you can't guarantee. You can't count on those other things, but you can always count on love. I think one of the major obstacles to tithing faithfully is Fear. Did you know that the opposite of faith is fear? The opposite of faith is fear. And people don't do this because they're afraid they don't have enough. Let me tell you a story. There's this backwards farmer, and he's sitting on the steps of his old tumble-down shack, and this stranger comes up. He's wanting a drink of water, so, so the farmer gives him a drink. The two of them strike up a conversation, and he says to the farmer, Hey, man, I was looking at your farm here. Uh, how's your wheat coming along? And the farmer said, well, I didn't plant any wheat. And he said, I thought this is good wheat country. And he said, it is, but I didn't plant any wheat. He said, why not? He said, I was afraid it would rain. Oh. Well, he said, well, how's your corn? He said, I didn't plant no corn this year. He said, why not? He said, I'm afraid of corn blight. And he said, well, what did you plant this year? And the farmer said, I didn't plant nothing this year. I just played it safe. Think about the intelligence of that. I didn't plant nothing this year. I just played it safe. A farmer who doesn't plant a crop, there's nothing safe about that. <laughs> it might mean you have a few days to sit up in the shade on the porch sipping water, but long about next year when the harvest didn't come in and you don't have any way to pay your bills or have any seed for next year, what are you going to do? Yet a lot of people treat they're giving that way. 
I didn't give this time. I played it safe. I was afraid to sow the seed this year. I played it safe. But, you know, the, the law of the harvest says that anytime, we talked about this several months ago in the series, anytime a seed is sown, a seed will grow. But if no seed is sown, there's nothing to grow. God provides the, the, the soil. He provides the seed. He provides the, the water. The, he provides the sun. He, 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 he does the miracle of bringing the dead seed back to life and causes a little bitty seed to produce a massive amount of harvest. God does all these things. But the only thing God doesn't do is take the seed out of the package for us and stick it in the ground. That is called tithing. I will take the seed. Remember the passage of Scripture talk about that those who sow in tears would reap in joy. Have you ever wondered what that meant? In its context, it talked about the farmer who would take... Anybody here ever plant potatoes? What do, you, what do you use to plant potatoes? What's the seed? Potatoes. So you cut up the potatoes and then you plant the potatoes and then they produce more potatoes. Am I correct? I know I am because we've done it. I'm not lying to you. Just like I said, I wouldn't. Been there and done it. How hard it was in the scripture for those who were struggling when it was time to plant and this was the very thing they were eating. And for a dad to look at his family and say, we either take the rest of this that we got and plant it so we'll eat next year and go hungry now or else we eat it now and we'll have nothing next year. So in tears, they would go out and sow the seed. And maybe the kids would go to bed hungry. But dad did it in faith because he knew that God would cause a crop to grow from that and next year they would still be alive. They that sow in tears will reap in joy. The other thing about an offering, or the other thing about a garden too, is that once you sow that seed, it does not produce potatoes the next day. Does it? It takes a cycle of sun and rain and time for that to produce. Yet you see some people, they start this concept of giving. They do it two or three weeks. They say, didn't work. Didn't work. How do you know? When was the last time that you threw a tomato seed in the ground and had tomatoes three days later? This will stretch you. Number four, it's a personal decision requirement. So I'm just going to, for the next couple minutes, I'm about to wrap this up. It's quiet in here today, and I knew this wasn't going to be one of those tearjerker kind of uh, deals where we're waving hankies and shouting and can't wait to get to the altar, and I knew that. This is a day, though, that my goal is that we walk away from here having been communicated to clearly. We all walk out of this place, and we have an understanding about something maybe we didn't have before. For some of you, you've been there, you've done that, you're, you're doing it. You're like, okay, that's cool, go ahead. But for others, this may be the first time they've ever heard this on this level. It's, it's necessary for them. And so this last part is for those people that are truly at that place where they're saying, I'm trying to determine, Pastor, you know, I'm trying to determine if I'm going to do this or not. Then I would offer you some practical suggestions. First of all, just settle the matter. Write it down, settle. Just settle the matter in your heart. Because until you settle it, you'll never be consistent in doing it. As long as you say, well, I'm going to do this test. Okay, do the test. 
Do the test, but do the test long enough for the crop to grow. You know, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard it said before. Pastors have said this. They said, you know, if you tithe and it doesn't work, come back and we'll give you money back. And you know what? I've even said it, and I don't, I don't really care. But I would add something to that today. I would say, tithe consistently with the right motive, long enough for it to produce a crop, and then if it, and then if this is a lie, we'll pay you back your money. Really? Oh yeah. If God's a liar, then we need to pay everybody back their money and shut and shut up shop and go do something else. I need somebody out there to give me a job. Who thinks I can sell insurance or do something? Can I do something? Anybody want to give me a job? If God is a liar, I need a job. Settle the matter in your heart. This, and understand something. This is the standard for all of God's people. It, it, it's not like, you know, our, our politicians right now, I mean, they're, they, they, they're, they're striving so hard to try to figure out who can come up with the best, best tax plan. How we're going to tax this one and tax that one, tax this one different, tax that one. God, he had it all figured out a long time ago. He said, here's what we'll do. It's all relative. Everybody pays 10%. Everybody. So if they have a dollar, they do 10 cents. If they have a thousand dollars, they do a hundred dollars. That's fair. I know that's not popular in a communist nation or a socialist situation. I don't want to talk politics, but all of those Bernie Sanders folks out there right now are probably not real happy. This is just the way it is. There will never be a good time to start tithing. There won't never be a good time. What we're dealing with here is a, is a disciplined and prioritized Daily way of life. Secondly, figure out what 10% is of your gross paycheck, dividends, profits on sales, income of any kind. I'm telling you, guys, I said this before not too long ago. When you give me a gift certificate, I tithe on that. If you give me a $25 gift certificate to Olive Garden, I tithe on that. And I always will. You say, well, I don't want you to do that. I'm giving, I wanted you to take that 25. I'd rather give the Lord 10% because maybe next year you'll give me that again. Tithe on the gross, not on what's left all over. That's another big argument. Well, taxes take this, this, I don't care. That, you know, give unto Caesar what Caesar's, render unto God what's God's. Huh? Caesar, Caesar's. We can't help that, can we? God's already said what his was, and God should be first. Which brings me to see, when you get paid, make out the tithe check first. Some of you don't use checks, that's fine. You don't understand the principle that I'm giving you. However it is that you pay your bills, when you get paid, the first thing you should pay should be your tithes. That way you won't put God in a precarious situation by having to say to him, oh, we ran out of money next time, Lord. You say, well, that, that's the very reason I don't do it because I, I pay him and I don't have any money. I'm saying the reason that you pay him and you don't have any money is because you don't do that first. Mm. So D, make out a budget. Budget the other 90%. Tell the rest of that money 
how it's going to be spent. And don't be surprised if it doesn't work on paper. That's the faith element. Sometimes it doesn't work on paper. But start budgeting your money. Some of you don't have any idea. Man, I need, to, I need to spend a lot of time on some of these areas. Some of you don't have a clue. You get your paycheck and, and, and Friday by, by Friday night it's gone. And, and, and you went and got what you wanted and paid whatever bills were right there in front of you. Never even thought about the fact that you don't get paid again for two more weeks. And, and, and you need a systemized budget that shows you a budget that says here's what bills are going to be due before the next check. And you need to pay your tithes and then all those bills. And I would go further than that and say that when we really get disciplined, we'll put ourselves in a position to pay God 10%, then pay ourselves 10%, and then pay our bills and live on 80%. You say, there's no way I could do that. Well, then someday you're going to be working when you're 70, 75. And some of us probably will be anyway, because that's what we do. We don't work till we die, and we don't want to do anything else, right? I'm saying to you, though, you should pay yourself. Pay God, pay yourself, and then pay your bills. And if you tithe, you'll be able to do that. Take a little while, but it'll work. E, don't designate your tithe. Don't divide it or designate it. The scripture says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You say, but I give, you know, I have, I do my 10%, but I give some of it to the church and then some of it I designate it to other things. I'm saying to you, that's not the tithe. Something you're designating is not a tithe. Whatever you designate is an offering and you, and the Lord says you can designate as much as you want. And the more that you give, the more he'll give you to give. I'm convinced of that. If you wanted to give 30% of your income away, as long as 10% of it's the tithe, you could designate the other 20 anywhere you want. And God will bless you for that because if that's a worthwhile ministry, he'll see to it you have it to do. But you don't make the decision on the tithe. Does that make sense? The 10% Goes to, and that's why you've heard me say this over the years. When we have guests here sometime where I'm taking the offering, I'll say to the, I'll say to people, if you're from another church, do not pay your tithe here today. Pay your church to your, your tithe to your local church. Wherever you're being fed, wherever you call home, that's where your tithe should go. I'm saying that right now. There may be somebody in here be like, well, man, I was getting ready to pay my tithe and I'm go to another church. I'm going to say, no, don't you do it. You write out your check, take it home, put it in your own church. That's where the tithe goes. The offerings go wherever you want them to go, but you don't designate the tithe. The next one, F, tithe systematically. Do it regularly. G, increase your faith beyond the tithe. Ray Stedman told a story about a guy that was, he was giving an offering and he said to the ushers, the plate went by, he said, I think I could give $10 and not feel it. And the usher said, then why don't you give 20 and feel it? H, expect, write it down, expect fierce temptation. He's going to hate that you've made this commitment and he's going to fight you initially. He's going to tell you this was a dumb decision. He's going to do everything in the world to discourage you and cause you to quit doing this as soon as he can. He's going to hit you with other things and you're truthfully in faith going to have to outstay the devil. I'm just telling you the truth. He'll hit you with things, but the scripture promises you that if you, if you faithfully tithe, God will rebuke the devourer. Right now, the devourer is hitting you all the time. You're like, I can't, I can't tithe because every time I get a few dollars together, something happens to the car and I have to fix the car. Well, the devourer is after you all the time because 
the one who could be blessing you don't have nothing to do with you because you haven't given him that area of your life. So he's not rebuking the devourer. So the devourer is going to come at you with everything he can initially to try to get you to change his decision. Now, I'm going to conclude. I know you're ready, and I'm ready too. So let me, let me just say that you will always be welcome at this church whether you ever give a dime or not. And I won't know the difference. It'll be a, a, a matter between you and the Lord. But I do want to leave you with this, this last story before I conclude. He was the president at Miami College. And he wrote an article in their college newsletter to constituents that made a lot of sense. And he was responding to someone's criticism that he was always asking for money. And so he writes, you are probably right, but let me tell you a personal story. I had a little boy, my firstborn. He was a delight to our hearts, but he was always costing me something. He needed clothing and shoes and food and he had special needs. And I gladly provided for that because he was my son. And then one day he died. It was an experience that I hope you'll never have. He does not cost me a dollar now. Goes on to write, every need is an unfailing sign of life and growth. Body, mind, and soul have their needs and they must be met continually. A ministry that is constantly in need of funds is alive and growing and going somewhere. A dead ministry has no need and will not bother you. You're here today because you like that this place is alive. It could not be what it is without the people who do what God has commanded and pay tithes. You would not have this staff that you have. Somebody said to me the other day, somebody that's not on our staff, somebody from outside our church said to me the other day, you guys have an awesome staff. I, I said, yeah, they're, every one of them are excellent. They're the best at what they do. I mean, that's, who we're, we're, that's what we have to have. We got to have people that are the best at what they do. Well, people like that have to live just like you do. And in order for them to do what they do and do it with excellence, they're here all the time. I didn't say full time. I'm talking about come up here at night sometime when you're off from your job and see where they're at. You say, well, if I do and they're not here, okay, then where are they? Maybe in a hospital, maybe at someone's house, maybe at a restaurant and doing a meeting. But I'm telling you, these folks are on salary because we couldn't afford to pay them by the hour. Same as those of you that are working for salary, you understand that. Salary looks like you get paid more money until you start breaking down the fact that you worked 80 hours a week to get it. Where somebody else worked 40. Am I right? The reason why the sound is like it is. And the lights are like they are. And the, there's coffee out there. and God has opened up the windows of heaven. And miraculously dumps those things on our front porch every Monday morning. No. Instead, he has opened up the windows of heaven and blessed the people to give for it. And that way, we're able to go to Walmart and Sam's and buy that stuff. Because it does not just appear like the manna and the quail. And I thank God we're not in the wilderness and don't need it to. We can't 
compare our giving to what God has given us. All, all true Christian giving flows out of the character of God. Jesus was a giver, not a taker. And he calls us to walk and live in his example. So I conclude by, by making this statement that we started with. Test God and see if he is indeed telling you the truth about tithing. He is the one who challenges you to test him. Only place in scripture that I'm aware of that God ever said, test me. I guess it's because God knew that of everything that he would ask us to do, this would be the hardest. He said, thou shalt not kill. We're like, okay. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. No test in that. Just don't do it. All the laws will, that's what they're all going to be written about. But then he says, test me in the money. Because that's the one that you'll argue with me about the most. You're not going to argue with me about murder. You'll be like, yeah, you're right. We probably shouldn't do that. But you will argue and try to take my money, he said. So test me in this and see. He says, I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm letting you be a part of how I am going to move forward my kingdom. So test me in that. Don't be afraid. Don't, Don't live your life in fear. Start living your life in faith. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's not an easy word today, Lord, because it deals with a sensitive subject. Lord, even those of us who have been tithing for a long, long time and see over and over and over how you have been true to your word, there are times in our life still that we even have those moments where we're like, wow, this is a tight one. This is a tough one. Lord, we continue to do that and we continue to enjoy the blessings. And God, those blessings are not always financial. They come so many ways. And God, they come because we do this the right way. It's not our motive is not we're going to do this so we won't have to have insurance or we're going to do this so that you will have to make sure we have. God, we're doing it out of love. We're investing out of love, not expecting to get back, but we do. We don't expect it, but we do. We can't help it. We can't keep it from it. Just because the law of the harvest works, it just does. We sow a seed and it will produce a harvest. It just will. We can't stop that. But I pray that you would give us the courage today to start and the ability, Lord, to stick with. For some of us, it's going to be tough. We've never, have, we've never done this before consistently. God, give them the faith to stick with this garden until the crops are produced. Give them the ability, Lord, to to do this for a season, and they will. Lord, I've heard so many testimonies over the years. They're going to see that your word is true. Thank you for it, God. we're we're, We're doing this because, Lord, I do want to see your gospel preached in all the world. And I want to see the needs of people's lives met. And I want to have the wherewithal to do outreach and evangelism and staffing and the things that are so important for your church to be healthy and strong and productive. Lord, if every one of us were tithing, we wouldn't even have to 
we wouldn't even have to talk about an offering. We'd just get up, sing a song, start passing a basket, and we'd have more money than we could ever, ever need. But God, we're dealing with folks, myself included years ago, who are just afraid. Help us, I pray today, God. Destroy that fear and boost our faith. Pray those blessings on your folks now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team, if they would, just to get up and move around the sanctuary. Our prayer time this morning is, is not going to be so much based on this message. This, is some, this message is something that you need to contend with in your own heart. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to say, yes, I'm going to start doing this by raising your hand or by signing something or by coming and telling one of them. That's not what the altar, altar time's about. If the Lord is dealing with your heart this morning about that giving, then you need to deal with that and let him keep dealing with you about that. Pray about that. Pray about it now if you want. But for these folks that are standing around here right now, I, I wanted them to come and stand here because I wanted you as a church to have an opportunity to have your needs met. You know, Brian prayed with us earlier, but we didn't really have the opportunity to, sh to sh shut things down and pray for healing and pray for salvation and pray for people to be filled with the Spirit and pray for relationships, whatever it is that you have need of. And if that need has to do with the message this morning, something of faith, faith and fear, if it's something about that and you want to talk to one of them, you can. Or if not, just kneel. Whatever it is that you have need of prayer for today, I'm opening up this altar this time. And I'm asking you to take advantage of these people who truly, they truly love you and they have a heart for you or they would not commit to do this, uh, to, to bear burdens with you. And so uh, as Neil leads us in this last song, I want you to stand to your feet, find yourself a place to pray, or if you need prayer, come to one of them and they will pray with you. At the end of our prayer time, uh, Pastor Chad will come and say a few words and dismiss us. I want you to know I love you. God bless you. I appreciate all of you. Thanks for putting up with me again today. And uh, I hope that this message will, will, will change some of your lives. Amen. God bless you. Let's come and pray.